packed my bags. Last night, pre-flight. Zero hour. 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high. As a kite by then. Touchdown brings me back again to find I'm not the man they think I am back home. Oh, no, no, no. I'm a rocket man. Rocket man. Elton John. Um, <laughs> oh, secretly having fantasies about Bernie Taupin. That's the lyric. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that commercial that was like they were they were trying, to, trying figure to figure out, out what yeah the, the lyrics to Rocket Man were yeah, yeah. What was that was that part of this, the commercials where it was also um, Rock the Casbah and like it was like or the, no it was a different there's like a series of Rock like the a, Cat Spot Rock the Cat Spot or Rock the Cat Box or something like that yeah yeah uh, welcome to Infinity License everyone uh, this is Brian Pisano and I am Lenny DeFranco who Lenny DeFranco he's sitting across from me uh, we're here to talk to you it's just us today we're back to we're a gruesome twosome again. You yeah. know what? We don't need the haters, all right? We, we don't, don't need, need haters any of these like other people here. John Light, a like, perfectly polite <laughs> hater. Very knowledgeable very no. journalist. <laughs> uh, ben Cantillo, a uh, cultural connoisseur and whip-crack uh, witticismist. <laughs> we don't need any of them. No. We, have our, we have ourselves. You're getting um, a, a pure, unadulterated Lenny and Brian episode. Um, and we're also just broadcasting shortly after our president addressed the United Nations and told the whole world that he called Kim Jong-un the rocket man, <laughs> which I like to think of, which well, I guess that's the segment for the end of the show, but I like to think of in like those briefings that they give him in the, at the Pentagon, they just come up, they're like, all right, we got to think of like creative names to give the enemies of the American state so that he'll remember. So it's like Kim Jong-un rocket man, you know, like, do you think, well, he takes most of his briefing briefings in like picture book form. Do you think that he actually has a, a pictured rocket man like over North Korea when he's getting his, when he's looking at the map? I mean, he it's, maybe, the, it's the rocketeer. It's, he didn't even get it right. It's the, <laughs> uh, it's probably like, yeah. And then Mexico is just like a speedy Gonzalez. And, <laughs> Over all of South um, America is just uh, Gael Garcia Bernal in the Motorcycle Diaries. England is Roger Moore, James Bond. Yeah, England so, is Moonraker. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, that happened. And then also then Trump also <laughs> led the, the toast at the UN <laughs> at lunch. And as part of the toast, it was going crazy on Twitter about how uh, he held a glass of wine and he put it up to his lips after the toast is over. And he, after toasting the potential of the United Nations and the United States, uh, and then he put the to wine destruction to to the <laughs> Rocket Man. I will destroy him. Um, and then to his own self destruction, he put the <laughs> wine up to his lips. But then he it does. It's not clear oh. whether he had a sip or if he if he. And then he kind of passed it off to his aide. So everyone was trying to figure out if Donald had some wine. And all I could think of is if he actually swallowed, he just would have devolved into Barney from the Simpsons after like <laughs> after his like couple weeks of sobriety. It begins. It begins. <laughs> I don't get it. That was non-alcoholic champagne. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, because I, I forgot that he doesn't drink because uh his brother drank himself to death because yeah. his father was, was such a, a yeah. Joe Jackson style abuser. Yeah. Because his brother wasn't uh, like a, a ruthless profiteer enough for his father for Fred Trump's tastes. So he evicted him from uh sanity and then and then uh, whatever Trump's older brother's name was evicted himself from living. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he evacuated living real hard. <laughs> yeah, he, he forgot alcoholism. to build a fire escape on life. And, <laughs> and it was, his fire escape wasn't up to code. Yeah. Yeah, that's sad. It's sad. It's also one of those things where it's like you read that and you're like, don't give me any goddamn sympathy or try to humanize this monster. The fact that he doesn't drink because he had a tragedy in the family from alcohol abuse. Yeah. But um, you got to imagine that. It, I don't know. Did he volunteer to like lead the toast? I mean, he must. If so, he must have done it before in the highfalutin circles that he's in. That's a good point. I don't know. I, I don't know if just the first one that was uh, televised or if this is just a specific thing to the U.N., if this is a U.N. tradition. I should ask my friend who works for the U.N. if this is like a thing they have to lead. Uh, a toast. Um, Do we know it was wine too? It looked like red wine. 
It could have been like it could have been just like grape juice, the blood of innocence, or something. I mean, Uh, like his normal breakfast. Exactly, the virgins they sacrifice, the globalists sacrifice at the UN. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They let you do anything they want, drain their blood. Uh, I don't know. It looked like it looked like real wine. Um, It's legal to have like a blood boy, right? I mean, do you think the president is offered that these days? A blood boy? Yeah, like like you know, in Silicon Valley, they have these. uh, like Peter Thiel will have a blood boy who donates his youthful plasmatic oh, blood. Oh yeah, and uh, I mean it's it's a legal procedure. Um, you got to imagine that these guys put it this way: Trump can easily have access to uh, Snapchat spectacles if he wanted. He could probably take a ride in a Tesla, a self-driving Tesla down the road, which right. hopefully someone would hack and crash into yeah. a semi. <laughs> uh, you got to imagine that like other uh, now, Lenny, you're advocating violence. By the way, <laughs> I will not edit this out. Edit this out. I refuse to. <laughs> Uh, and you got to imagine that if he wanted to, he would be able to take advantage of the most futuristic um, Silicon Valley innovation, which is blood transfusion, oh, like yeah, regu- regular blood transfusion. Do you think that would be a huge scandal? Like, really, all it is, especially in certain circles, is just a healthful move. It's like taking supplements or something. Yeah. Well, if a- he, I mean, if he had a cave full of people that he strung up and was forced, like vampire style, was taking blood out of them, then yes, it would be a scandal. If it was just like one person who's just like a healthy dude and is he's twenty four and and you don't think that would be a horrendous tabloid scandal about like interviewing Trump's blood boy and the fa- and middle America getting freaked out that he's like they would think it's a gay thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, they'd be like secret <laughs> East Coast New York uh, New Yorker uh, steals blood from innocence and. And uh, invigorates his soul with a with with. It's, I guess it would be Pizzagate, but real. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you may as well put a use to the cave full of hanging people that he has. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's and what we could. T- we could. Uh, he's a pro. You know, he's a businessman, entrepreneur. Let's turn Guantanamo into a blood bank for him. This you know, is, they're no, already no, not going anywhere. Do, we should do the the gumshoe journalism of this and go. It's if the, if it would be anywhere, it would be in his home childhood home in Jamaica Estates, Queens, which you can now be Airbnb, and we should go rent that out and podcast live from. They're from, air. They're renting they're out Airbnb the uh, Trump family home. How does he not own that? He's so sentimental about his family. Doesn't he have money to buy it? That's a good question. Uh, I I don't think, I think maybe Trump doesn't have any money. Did you see this? Today he was, I mean, I know he said like the the canard is that he has less money than he says he does, Mm -hmm. um, which is also true of me. Like when I'm like applying for a loan or like taking someone out to dinner, you know. Uh, Anytime I'm applying for a credit card, what do you make? Oh, six figures. Lots more, (laughs) obviously. Infinity credit license, the alternate name of the the show. I do what you did for your your Jets thing. I just add zeros until someone (laughs) accepts me. (laughs) But I mean, he doesn't even have, like, do you see that he's, that Trump is paying for his legal bills with just campaign funds? Like, it's. Is that legal? It is, it is legal, but it's usually like for, you know, paying minor, minor lawsuits. You know, there's always lawsuits that stem from. Also, they have a lot of vendors and stuff that they, you know, over the course of a campaign, they got, you know, I'm sure someone sues them for something. But no one has ever used it for a legal, a a criminal defense. And Trump is using it for that. It's like, it's the same thing as like he's, he's charging the secret, the secret service got kicked out of Trump Tower because they weren't like had a rent dispute. Like how much fucking money does this guy need? Or he doesn't have any. Yeah, he doesn't know. I don't think he, I don't think he does. There's a have money to pay for his childhood home. He didn't have, we've covered this before, he didn't have enough money to pay for just at Donald Trump, which probably wasn't that much money in yeah. like, you know, 2004 or yeah. something, or, or yeah. uh, 2000. Especially what? that's when he had a lot of the, probably the apprentice 2011, money I should rolling. say. It was still apprentice money. Apprentice syndication was at its peak in, in 2011, I imagine. There yeah. had to be a lot of steady checks rolling in from that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really don't think he has. There's like a famous quote that somebody, I think, I don't know if it was one of his, which, which one of his previous wives it was, but he famously said to her, and this was said in Dolores, the forgotten one, Dolores, the forgotten Trump wife, Dolores Trump, um, that like he pointed out to like a homeless guy on the streets of New York and was like, you see that guy right there? He's actually worth more than me right now because I'm just so underwater. And this yeah. is in like 1991 or 1992 where he was just so underwater with all his debts. He wasn't paying any of his creditors. Uh, but uh, that's that's just that's the and maybe an apocryphal story, but I think was actually told. In Ivanka to, Ivanka Trump told that story. Oh, it was Ivanka I, Trump. she said, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. She, she said that he he saw uh, like a guy in the street, um, and uh, he was like, that guy has like fifty million dollars more than I do, and right. I yeah. have fifty million negative dollars. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably I imagine actually I feel, I feel like he's probably bigger in the hole right now, but anyway, so today we're talking about so that's uh, you know, speaking of the end of civilization. 
Uh, <laughs> the uh, and the end of our civilization as we know it. Uh, the New Yorker put out a piece. So we're going to talk about a couple of things this week. We're talking about the a piece that the in the New Yorker by John Lanchester uh, called the case against civilization. Uh, later on, we're also going to talk about Amazon's wacky bid to get America. A- Amazon H two HQ two Yeah, Amazon's <laughs> trying to drone delivery the Olympics to you. But they, they they tried to pull like an Olympic style stunt, getting people to bid on them. Yeah, uh, and. We'll we'll get to that. That's the second topic. I'm, I that you immediately infuriated me. <laughs> like, that topic is going to be straight fire. And then at the end, we're going to talk about uh, Trump's perspective on American global hegemony. So, uh, but skip your grad school classes, kids. We're going to cover all of American global hegemony. 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 Hgh nemony. Let's get. I look forward to Donald Trump attempting to say hegemony one time, at least it, one time. Uh, <laughs> human see anemone. <laughs> anemone. They said it's a, they said it's a hetero. Um, <laughs> I'm a totes hetero. Uh, but yeah, so the, this uh, case against the civilization, um, I just thought it was an interesting piece because it is something that I think about, and I think in the context of both American global hegemony. hegemony. Oh, God. I don't think we've said that right yet. No, <laughs> we're not going to say it right the rest of the episode. Yeah, so the news hook on this is basically that there was an uh, article in the New York Yorker that was a, a review of a book um, by wh- who was it? James C. Scott. Yeah, James yeah. C. Scott wrote wrote this like Jared Diamond style review of civilization, and basically what he kind of proposes is that um, it's one of these books that like it 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 questions it 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 shows the origins of civilization and saying that we we arose out of these tribes that we kind of our species evolved in, and it pitches the question about whether we're better off under basically state control. Right. Uh, the guy who uh, wrote the book, James C. Scott, is an expert not in like archaeology, but in the creation of statehood. Right. So he's kind of like, it's actually sort of like an, an academic approach to the sort of state of nature that Rousseau and Hobbes and all those other right. uh, theorized and statehood, on. a relatively new idea. Like since he dates it, you, the real modern concept of statehood dating back to the 1600s. Yeah, 16, yeah. Well, I would date it to 1648, the yeah. Treaty of Westphalia, yeah. which was uh, formalized the mutually hurting stalemate between states, which is still a process that is ongoing in Africa, by the way, which is why that's um, like the main uh, case for like, like if you talk about... Um, why Western power is detrimental in any intervention in places that are developing. Right. Uh, it's that, yeah, there's like death and strife and stuff, but also Europe went through that for thousands of years before uh, there was like settled borders, which right. is basically the state of stasis. And, um, you know, that's what has to happen. This mutually hurting stalemate has to be achieved before you can have stasis. Like in Somalia, for example, it's like being carved up by various warlords, but there's actually pretty good governance Right. Inside of those, even according to their own mores, right. because because that's what statehood basically is, and so, um, but back but back like so even before the the creation of statehood, he kind of approaches that from like we evolved out of these 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 small tribes, and is it beneficial to us that we're under this essentially fundamentally oligarchic rule? Right. And also, are I think there's a my my initial gut reaction to it was something that I'm feeling lately. I've been feeling lately, and. I think the election of Trump exemplifies this, is that there was an illusion for, especially in post-World War II America, up at, up through 9-11, certainly, and maybe a little bit post-9-11, was that the American century was the right arc of history. We were on the right and just cause in World War II, uh, and American free trade and global capitalism was also the linear straightway. Like, we were, like, justice was kind of prevailing over the negative parts, and we were, like, kind of paving a path, like, in the Ronald Reagan vernacular, saying, we're the city on the hill, uh, alluding to the... What's his name? This is also found uh, to be found in, like, the MLK, like, moral arc of the universe. Right, you know, yeah. this idea of this linearity of history. Right, the arc bends towards justice, but I think... In the modern times, in the post-Trump world, we're starting to think, like, ooh, maybe, I mean... Well, arcs does, come down. The arcs, <laughs> the arc, that arc, it went up, and then it, was very, it was a parabola, and we reached the peak, and now we're just kind of sliding right back down. And we, it's an American concept to think, kind of like what you're saying, too, why you know, us carving up uh, eastern states or African states is bad. Um, it's kind of a, a bias that we have. It's like, oh, yeah, obviously you want, they want uh, internet and, and certain modern healthcare and all that stuff. But at the same time, his argument is saying, and the books that he wrote were called The Art of Not Being Governed and Seeing as the State Sees by James C. Scott, um, is that the, actually the transition from 
from a hunter-gatherer society to an agricultural society was not as smooth as we all as we all think it was. It was actually fraught with a lot of death, destruction, disease. Um, early states that actually adopted agricultural agricultural societies enabled essentially a lot of the institutions that are part of our oligarchic or despotic states where it's like slavery, um, kind of uh, uh, slavery, mass incarceration, things that you could do to like, other groups of people as opposed to letting people run free. And actually the, the other thing that he said is that like, well, it, the only way we could really observe this is if there were any modern tribes that still existed in the hunter gatherer state. And you observe these tribes in Southwest Africa that are the, uh, what are they called? The Bushmen. The Bushmen of Kalahari in Southwest Africa. And they're the closest, actually our closest rel- living relatives to like the, like the modern, modern man. Like they, they, uh, they're, they they're the, no, they're the they're, first modern, they're the first men, like, yeah. like in game of Thrones, <laughs> the first men. Um, but they, but and they use the guys who use the clicking kind of language as their main. Um, yeah, and he language. says that clicking, like because of this, there's evidence that uh, clicking languages were actually like the first, basically like Homo sapiens sapien language. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and uh, I forgot about that. Um, but like the, the the point was actually one of the points that I thought was more interesting is that like he pointed out that those guys actually, to, in order to meet their calor- caloric intake for a week, they only really work 17 hours a week of hunting and gathering, and then they do about <laughs> as they as good they, old hunting and gathering. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's. So the, uh, hunting and gathering, they only do 17 hours a week, and then they do about 20 hours uh, of just domestic kind of like stuff a week, as opposed to the modern American person, which does 40 hours, on average 40 hours a week, and uh, and 36 hours of domestic chores. So it's like, I'm like, so we'd like to think, there's this illusion that we'd like to think that, well, we've progressed so far from hunter-gatherer society, and now we're, it's like, well, we're working more. Like John Maynard Keynes, like a prediction of like, oh, we'll just be like hanging out. We'll live in a complete leisure economy. And it's like we're working more than even Keynes had predicted. Um, I just think that's just interesting. I think that's like what the. Yeah. And I think I mean, it's sort of a uh, it's a valid argument to to have Um, the uh, to me, the idea of. So, okay, start to start with the the top question, which is like, is civilization a good thing? I think that the first answer that I had when I thought of that was like. It, it is a uh, academic question in the truest sense. We, I think that civilization is, all it really is, is people cohering, it, right. it, agreeing to cohere on larger and larger scales, and we're intelligent so we can start to bond. Uh, one of our, uh, if not our chief adaptation, is you know being able to uh, navigate social hierarchies mm-hmm. and politics, basically, oh, yeah. interpersonal politics. And um, it, it, you extend that out far enough, and you eventually get... You just you scale what works about a small band of people combining their talents and their perspectives, like physical perspectives. You know, I don't think philosophy had emerged yet, but right. like you basically scale that, and you eventually just get a larger and larger group of people specializing in things, and right. all of a sudden you have a civilization. So, to me, the idea of is civilization a good thing is basically it. It's it's like if you were to say like, is it a good thing that like we discovered Polynesia? You know, like. Yeah as seafaring species it's like well it it it's what we are i mean it's like we we do this and so right. this is our impulse and so it's like you know it's like saying like it is is it good that coral that the coral the great barrier reef is that big it's like well that's just what it is, what it does it well, just grows I, and accumulates i think that's actually the point that i was trying to get to is that is it in our so that's so then you're saying then kind of it is kind of a linear thing then it is just like we're just kind of responding to our it was is a natural human impulse to d- develop civilization and it's not just an aberration in our species in the way that our like climate and our way that our our geography have affected yeah us. i totally don't think it is i mean yeah. we have um there, there's a uh, an i read a thing interesting that was interesting which was basically like we um they're all uh physical adaptations um at some point come to like a useful end like mm-hmm. there you, you could be as strong as you know you could be as big as any animal you could be as strong as any animal and at some point that comes to a, a, a utility the end of the utility the utility of that is finalized right um, you can never be too smart. And I think that in intelligence, humans have stumbled upon, uh, st- humans in the past stumbled upon the one adaptation that like just the gift that really keeps on giving. Um, and so one way we applied that the fruit was of knowledge, the fruit of, yeah, the tree of knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I don't know if you guys have heard the good news <laughs> <laughs> guys. We got super evangelical on the last <laughs> week. Ever since Ben was on the show, we got to like, we got to get into Yeah. It. After, after that, ep- that Ben episode, and he just started talking about all this good news and I was like down with it. And I was like, hell yeah. And we went yeah. To, he gave us this pamphlet called the watchtower. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Jared Kushner bought the building of it and tried to turn it into a tech hub and then that failed miserably. Yeah. 
Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, so I think that like it, it is my, my first answer, which is kind of a non-answer, is that it's, it, it's pointless to ask whether it's a good thing. Um, but it is, it is a, a question that has been brought up. And another place, aside from this article that I've seen it brought up, is um, I read this book called Tribe by Sebastian Younger. Mm-hmm. And it's basically about, uh, well, it's about a lot of stuff. And it has a lot of very, very questionable conclusions that he reaches. But his central contention is that as a war reporter, he's seen the military provide a level of community um, that very much approximates the kind of communities that humans evolved in. Oh, and so, when, and, it, and he kind of uses this as an oblique way of um, taking down the, our, what he considers to be a modern constructive myth of PTSD, uh. saying that there's a reason why PTSD hasn't existed before, and it's not that we just learned to diagnose it. The reason is because throughout human history, which has been a very martial history, yeah. we've always been able to reintegrate warriors back into society and it's because you know you have a role and and you know communities need certain things right one really interesting point that he mentions um and then 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 the, the sort of converse of that is that our modern society has just completely bastardized the idea of community right um one interesting point he mentions is that um one of the the really worrying divisions that we've created in our society is that you have like conservatives and liberals you think of what they each want liberals want to provide for people that can't provide for themselves Right. And conservatives want to make sure that nobody's cheating the system. Right. And that to to devo- to divorce those two impulses is completely a, a nat- in a, unnatural. Right. It's unsubstantial. It's unsustainable because you need if you as long as you have a community willing to help each other out, which yeah. is completely the human impulse. It's also the human impulse to monitor each other and to not let people get away with freeloading. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, divorcing those is basically taking two sides of a coin and, and pretending they're different. So these are all ways, that's one example, but in, in his, his theory, uh, tribe is the, is the most wholesome and fulfilling um, method of human, mode of human existence. To your, to your point about um, people working a lot, I think that what someone coming from that perspective would say um, is that the, I, the reason we work so much is because it's the closest approximation that we have to having a true identity in the society. Mm. Um, whereas, uh, in a more sort of primitive situation like these Bushmen have, um, and most like Native American tribes pre Columbus, right. Um, it was, everyone had to do their part. Everyone had a role to play. It was, you know, that was the, the society that founded the modern, the European enlightenment's ideas of individuality and individual rights. But the corollary of that, which also Europe, Europe kind of divorced was you can have individual rights, but you also have a role to play in the society. You have to, it's a, it's a duty. Sort of the way that like Greeks saw like civic participation. Right. And to, and to say I have rights, but I, I can be selfish about it is also a bad tradition of where that came from. So the point is I'm, I'm saying like it is legitimate to question like where our society has gone wrong. Um, well, I think in, in yeah. having it off so much. Yeah, no, I think, I think those are all good points. And I think that's actually a good, a good way to say that I agree with all those points. Whereas like actually in Japan, like but to your PTSD point in Japan, what they all, the culture recognized after the war, they're like, we have to figure out a way to reintegrate people that participated in the war into society. So they would have like these ceremonies with the whole community whenever they came back to their hometown and be like, Hey, war's over you're part of this now and we're going to give you a job and give you a purpose. And then like, and the same thing. So it's like, I guess it is developing a sense of purpose and developing a sense of identity is very important in uh, developing a culture. And I just, and you're right. I think maybe our culture is just, is completely divorced both ideas on that. And then there's just like no middle ground and there's no idea of like people are like, well, I want my culture to be this way and you, other people want it to be that way. And it's like, well, those, those two ideas are almost irreconcilable or they're, they, I think it's just, I think that's what I always say to your point about liberals versus conservatism. That's why I try to, I argue with liberals all the time because I'm like, you have to, what you have to say to the conservative people is instead of like making your bleeding heart liberal case, you have to say to them like, look, these social programs actually in the long run are cheaper. Like, so it's like, we're holding everyone account. Yeah. We're like some, some people might actually like freeload off the system, but at the end of the day, we're actually using our tax tax dollars in the most efficient way. And like having somebody homeless and on the street, not contributing at all 
as opposed to potentially like just spending the money to get them off the street and have our streets clean and have him potentially have the opportunity to contribute to society is cheaper. <laughs> like, so like that's like that's the I'm like you just have to frame your argument in the context of what that person is thinking, and that's like that. And, I think and what benefits them? What benefits them exactly? So yeah. And and also the the other thing it does is not only cheaper, but it's um. It, it raises the baseline for everyone, right? Yeah. It, it, and I think that, and that's the, that was the other the second main point that I had in response to this question because so it's like okay, so we could take the question of is civilization once you once you address it, I think that what the impulse towards c- civilization um, <clears throat> sort of implies is that what what any kind of evolution that we have does is it takes out the peaks and valleys. Yeah. So like if you, the Fed. Uh, doesn't prevent recession, but it, it prevents de- ideally depression. You right. know, it, it and like it kind of it's evens everything than Xanax out. or Zoloft or whatever. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> and it, like you, you, if you didn't have it, you'd have just these crashes all the time. You'd yeah. Have, you know. Yeah. And then the same thing for the law. Like the law is not pure justice, but it it tries to find a median, right? Or or mean, you know, worse, and um and and applies that. It, it's like technology is, is right. Um, you know, it's kind of numbing, but it's also like enable. There's just you take out the peaks and valleys of existence. Or actually, you know, the best one was um, we both uh, pretentious lawyer Brian and I both read Underworld. Hell yeah, white guy uh, high five. <laughs> and it's true. White oh, guy we just missed. We keep missing. <laughs> one, one of us went for a pound, and the other went for the high five, and we, then we switched. We're gonna we're gonna solve the white guy high five problem by starting a company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about about high fives. It's called it's called uh, Fiverr. Oh, sh- that's already taken. <laughs> uh, high Fiverr. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, so anyway, in, in in Underworld, Don DeLillo has a great line where he's imitating Lenny Bruce, uh, or he's 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 has a character that is Lenny Bruce, and he's playing with a condom on stage, and it's one of my favorite lines in the book. And he's like, he puts the condom on his tongue, and he's like, oh my god. I just realized this is what the 20th century feels like. Oh. <laughs> and it's like so perfect because a condom is what modern society is. It's completely rational. It sucks. <laughs> it's desensitizing. I hate it. <laughs> it's desensitizing for a thing. But it's desensitizing for a thing that naturally feels good but is naturally dangerous. Yeah. You know, it like uh, it, it, it's it's uh, statistically uh, recommended. Uh, it's not bad enough that you're going to stop using it. The prudence outweighs the negatives. You know, it it is what society is, and um, and so the idea is: is it worth it to take out these peaks and valleys? And I think ultimately the sort of and I don't think that anyone has has voted on this. It's just the natural impulse of humans to to do this to to evolve in this way. Um, but I think that it ultimately is smart for, for our species to try to take out the peaks and valleys and technology to do so. Because the fundamental thing is like you're you you want you're going to be able to enjoy, to experience joy and sadness and the range of human experiences mm-hmm. regardless of what your setting is. Yeah. Real joy and real sadness are exhilarating and they're nice to romanticize in an article like this. But they're really tough. I remember listening to a, um, I think it was an end of This American Life, that was a... Um, it investigated like what does real joy come from, yeah. and it talked. To, they interviewed a guy who had uh, like hiked to the South Pole. Yeah. Okay. So like fucking across Antarctica, oh, yeah. and he. Shackleton. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was Santa Claus. Oh, okay. And he he, he was traded on, poles. He, he wanted to see what the other side was like. <laughs> he he signed up for a college study abroad class, and he was like, oh, I wonder what the other. <laughs> he he got super woke in his grad school class, yeah, and was like, like, what about the South? What about the global South Pole? The global South Pole. <laughs> And um, yeah, so this this guy uh, who was actually like Santa Claus, Norwegian, um, I think, uh, <laughs> uh, he had packed for himself a like candy bar, and he was mostly eating on this like miserable fucking like Greek myth of a trek, um, just like rations, you know, oh like just, you know, like just pills or whatever, some joyless food, and so he had like for that day like surprised himself with by packing a candy bar. He'd right. like forgotten about it or something. But and he was miking himself up this whole time. So he right. was like a football player mic'd up. Yeah. And so he opened up his food packet and re- and discovered this candy bar. And he let out and you just there's audio of him just being like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is like pure unadulterated joy because in the midst of all the suffering you had this moment of basically just respite from suffering. You know, yeah. it wasn't even like the, a minor joy had caused him such a, such a relative spike in joy that that was, and the implication was like, if you want to feel really, really happy, 
get out of like a torture chamber for eight months, you know, like, yeah. And so, so it's just rel- relative. It's, it's relative. And, yeah. the, and that is the making of real joy. And the making of real sadness is like, you have, you know, like, you know, if you have real joy, then you're opening yourself up to like true tragedy and like, yeah. dep- you know, crushing sadness. So the point is peaks and valleys are easy to romanticize, but they're, re- they're really dangerous. And like, uh, and they're really, I don't know that we would trade the fundamental stability that we ha- that ca- that allows us to further evolve um, and and still experience a range of emotions uh, in exchange for like you know a, a, a primitive civilization in which not surviving the winter was like a real concern for you know people. But Lenny, what if we end up in the dystopian equilibrium world like Christian Bale in that movie where everyone has to take the the emotion drug? Do you remember that movie? You ever see that movie? Uh, is it Batman? <laughs> no, no, it's the one. Oh, we should you we should watch that movie sometime. It's a really bad movie, but it's also really entertaining about basically a dystopian after a third world nuclear war, everyone like blames emotion for like the cause of the war. So they all t- they all it's government requires <laughs> is that, that you Is that movie Hard Times? <laughs> Another Christian Bale movie? No. Yeah, you have well, to you have to take like a a, a, dr- a drug that essentially eliminates all like everyone is a hyper logical computer robot in the future. I think the solution for civilization is that we all just should have a mandated we should just shut down the internet for like an hour a day. And I think that would work, right? Like, what if we just did that? That would be good moderation on those peaks and valleys. And we'd just be like, okay, well, and the president couldn't tweet. And we could just be like, all right, like, let's all just go back to what it was like before the internet. It's like a siesta. <laughs> yeah, like, like it's internet siesta. It's just like shut it down. And it's not going to happen, but I think we should just do that. Um, you know, uh, the, the sun, uh, you're, you're about the sun. It went away a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I heard, briefly. Yeah. yeah. Did, it came did, back. Don't we worry. We did hold the episode. <laughs> I don't know how close you read the news, but it did come back. Yeah. Um, if the sun were to shoot a coronal mass ejection at our planet, uh, it would send enough radiation that it would knock out all electronics. That would, it would take it'd us. It'd be like an EMP, right? Yeah, right, yeah, to yeah. to a degree that it would take us three years to recover oh, wow. all the technology. That sounds pretty great. Like there would be like a, a certain amount of deaths from people that were like flying or like, on life support, <laughs> but in exchange for those I mean, jerks who fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the rich class anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, who are you going to take down? A couple baseball teams, you know, some of the Amazon people commuting back and forth from their bi-coastal headquarters yeah. um, incessantly, which they're going to have to do. Um, but uh, I think it'd be pretty great if, like, we just kind of assumed, like, hey, everyone's still alive, but we're just going to take a break from technology for three and years. And we just have, so it would just be the process, that three-year process would be us, us like, kind of rebuilding. It's like, all right. Like how do we? And it, well, here's the thing though. You guys want uh, Vine? No, let's just not invent that again. That would be such an interesting experiment because, like, right now, I mean, half the way I do my technology job is by googling everything. So we'd have to Google and YouTube everything. So like, how would we rebuild society without Google and YouTube? It's like Ted Kaczynski told us. Like we built this on too many, too many. Like in the Unabomber manifesto, he's like, no, there's too many layers to modern society. Like we built it up on too much. Like essentially unfirmed stilts so that like if anything anything gets knocked out from underneath it like there's not enough energy to go around then we're, we're screwed um it's a pretty stupid point was it like well, <laughs> i like, mean what why was he trying to destabilize it further then i mean just because he wanted to see the world i think he didn't know he just wanted he just wanted the well he just wanted a, his message to go out he didn't want to destabilize it he wanted his message and he was effective in this he wanted his message to be put in the new york Two, times so I, okay so that's how we can put a point on this worst case scenario we're gonna be fine because Ted Kaczynski will die. <laughs> Ted, is Kaczynski, he's dead, isn't he? I don't know. I don't know if he is. He was pretty, he'd be pretty old right now if he... I can't believe I don't know this. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. He's, he's gone. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if that's the, that's the point of this. That we, can, we can end this conversation on that point. Uh, if we end up going back to a state of nature, uh, worst case scenario is we just end up um, in a pretty happy situation like the Bushmen, and we're just fucking all the time. Yeah, there you go. We'll probably have to eat a lot of squirrels in Prospect Park, but that'll be about it. All right. So speaking of the end of civilization or the beginning of it, the beginning of our new, the dawn of our new civilization, where uh, Amazon is just fully taking over the entire country, uh, they've they've opened up a bid. They said, "Hey, who wants us? Who wants to host HQ two? We're going to give you a ton of jobs," according to them. Uh, Did and you ever see the uh, beginning of Magic Mike, where, where Matthew McConaughey is like? This would be a good Meg commentary section because she has seen all the Magic Mike. That is a good movie. I've heard. I've heard. No, <laughs> I haven't seen any of it though. And uh, yeah, the um, the beginning, Matthew McConaughey is like, I'm almost had some ground bros right now, <laughs> and he touches his nip, and he's like, Can you touch this? Can you touch this? No, no, no. <laughs> then he grabs his dick. 
Can't you touch this? Can't you touch this? <laughs> and so um, that's what Amazon is doing to the world. <laughs> <laughs> or at least to any American city who's desperate for $5 billion in direct investment. Well, that's why I'm so... But, I mean, that's why... I mean, New York will always take any money you give it to it. But I'm so pissed that New York is, like, willing to put a bid together and EDC was going to put a bid in because it's like, you know what? We don't need the Amazon. The Electric Daisy Carnival? <laughs> yeah, EDC. We need, yeah, that festival we have on, uh, on, <laughs> on City, at City Field. Uh, is that where it goes? It goes on a, I know. I don't know. Who cares? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's a traveling festival. Um, I haven't been. Uh, no one I, is overdosed there. Therefore, I don't care. Yeah. It's <laughs> you not to, lit enough. You, yeah. you only go to festivals where people OD. Yeah. It has to be. I'm like a Dothraki partier. <laughs> yeah, like it's not, a, it's not a festival unless like five people die. Yeah. It's not uh, intense enough for me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I don't, I don't think that NYC putting in, New York City putting in a bid, the only way that I think that New York City putting in a bid works is if they say that, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to drop our whole headquarters in, like, Brownsville or East New York or something like that and really do, and give everybody there a job and say that, like, and do a complete economic redevelopment for that whole area and guarantee, which is, this little plan will never happen because it's not feasible. Um, but, like, they... Um, Oh, we don't have a cough button yet. Yeah. When we evolve as a podcast, we'll have a cough button. Yeah. Um, cough. Cough. Um, but I, I just don't think, I just don't see why New York City needs to be the host to this massive retailer. Do you have any, like, good, or do you see any reason why? That's I don't see a reason why, except yeah. for the fact that the New York City Economic Development Corporation is just this, like, you know, it, it, it knows one speed, and that speed is trying to attract capital. Oh, yeah. Uh, New York Corporate is the one. Capital. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> New York is the one city that doesn't need this. I mean, if any city doesn't. No. Um, yeah, it, it 100% doesn't. The whole yeah. thing, I mean, I, I don't, the whole thing makes me really uncomfortable. Like, Amazon already is uh, turning into um, the evil empire. I mean, it is the evil empire, but yeah. it's turning into, its public, perce- its public perception is catching up to its, its reality, basically. Yeah. Uh, and it can buy all of the crunchy ass businesses like Whole Foods that it wants, and actually that furthers its reputation. You know, right. it, the idea of it is a sort of um, like unstoppable conglomerate, right? Uh, basically, like the company. From <laughs> Big Brother. The, the news that day was that Amazon bought Amazon bought Whole Foods and. Walmart bought Bonobos. <laughs> it's just like, that's like two. Amazon bought Whole Foods, you know, the crunchy, whatever, like the hippie, but like kind of high end uh, grocery store. And Walmart was like, um, I guess we'll respond by buying clothes for bros. <laughs> uh, bro clothes? Is that is that a comparable? Bro Nobos. <laughs> bro Nobos. They also brought uh, b- bought uh, Jet.com, which was like trying to expand it. I thought yeah, Jet.com was part of Amazon. Uh, no, Walmart got it. Uh, okay. um, but that, you know, it, it is like so many urban elites that, you know, would very quickly decry Walmart, which is, a, by the way, a bandwagon I've never gotten on because I think it provides uh, poor people a lot more bang for their buck. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I mean, it's a complicated topic because they yeah. ruin cities. They ruin towns. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wherever, they, wherever they go, they ruin. Yeah. But um, but it, it's helpful to see, you know, that, that Amazon and Walmart have sort of clarified this battle between them that, like, now this is what you're dealing with, people. This is your... Walmart, you yeah. know, just because you have like a fancy oh, yeah. apartment, like rich people that are like, if you have Amazon Walmart. Prime, you you used to get away with things. It's like, well, I'm just Amazon priming it. It's just it, they're just better, and then it's yeah, like, uh, not really. <laughs> Meanwhile, Brian, I do have Amazon Prime, but I'll Alexa, watch. where is Amazon moving to? Uh, she, turned, uh, she doesn't know. She doesn't know yet. Yet. Uh, yet. She she's she knows more than she yeah, lets on exactly. Um, but I think that the whole the whole idea of Amazon kind of turning this into like an Olympic style bid for its presence yeah. is really weird. The thing is, first of all, what you'd like to see is cities cartelize <laughs> and be like, okay, we're not going to give up that much tax concessions. You know, this should be, if Amazon wanted to do uh, a really effective PR campaign, it has all the goddamn money in the world, first right. of all. Yeah. The, the guy from the Boston Globe, uh, Horowitz. That article was great. I agree yeah, he it, made man. a good point. It was like, if we give them $100 million in concessions, that's like going to be one of the biggest tax concessions. Or let's say, like, I think it was, it was five. He said, let's give them 10 times what we gave GE to yeah. move in, right? So just 10, t- which is an insane subsidy already. Right. So that's going to be like one point something billion dollars. Right. That's like, a rounding error. It's like less right. than 1% of their revenues if you're Amazon. Yeah. So they're not asking for these these concessions to make a bottom line impact. He was like, I think Amazon is making these requests because they want to see what further concessions they can get from appliance city council when they want like air rights or yeah. worker la- labor uh, rec- change requests. You know, like, 
Um, they're and, just going to get that city addicted to Amazon and be like, well, I guess we could pack up and leave town. And if you don't want to, our, you know, test drone strike program to go, <laughs> yeah. you know, where we just fire packages of dog food and, and <laughs> at people's <laughs> homes, you know, it's like, we're, we got this new called thing, Amazon, Amazon Pulse. It's just like, we just launched from our headquarters, a catapult. And like, we've, we've actually like gotten the trebuchet in the right range where we can just kind of like deliver food perfectly. It's actually, it's actually more safe than drones. Amazon, <laughs> Amazon Cull, uh, if you... <laughs> work up enough prime points you can uh, have an API integration with Facebook and like delete people that you don't like <laughs> I- IRL um, that's a Black Mirror episode I think yeah? <laughs> yeah it is a matter of time do you think Amazon's gonna start selling like weapons like you, you said oh, I, that's a good question there's a, they, I'm sure you buy a paintball gun and stuff like that which is not like a real firearm yeah but, but like, they're, like weapons guns on Amazon think about how much market they would ex- open themselves up to if I they if Alexa could order me an airsoft gun right now do you want to try that yeah Alexa Order me one airsoft rifle. The top search result for airsoft rifle is Ucarms P1136 Spring Airsoft Gun FPS 280 Free Pistol Combo Airsoft Gun. It's $28.78 total, including tax. Sorry, but I can't order that. See the Alexa app for options. Oh, we can't order it. Alexa's a gun grabber. Oh, fucking brown shit. This is even, now I agree that even more so that Amazon's a jackboot loving <laughs> big brother, not even able to get you your freedom protection device. It's just device. an airsoft rifle, which is basically a, a BB gun, which at best I can use to shoot those squirrels in Prospect Park. That will be my, my food. Seamus, I don't know. I don't know what uh, Waco taught you, but to me, it taught me that all the government's got to see is the shape of a gun, and they back off and respect your liberties. Yeah, they definitely don't throw grenades into your house and kill a bunch of innocent people. Um, oh well. So anyway, we so that was exciting for a moment. That was exciting. Yeah. yeah. So okay. So regarding the, the Amazon thing, I, no, I think that it's it's weird they're doing it. I would like to see um, them actually try to pitch cities on like what they could do. Four cities. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if they were like, well, that's yeah, that that actually, that's a good point, and that is, I agree. That's like, why are we saying like, hey, Amazon, we'll we'll do this? Well, please. it makes like, sense uh, because there we're, there's so much industry. I mean, Seattle is is Amazon's town now. Did you? I heard an insane stat that Amazon literally occupies twenty percent of the Class A office space in Seattle. Oh wow. Um, that's more than any other company in any other city. I mean, yeah. it's Jake. It, it is the Seattle economy almost. And um, they sorry, Microsoft. Yeah, <laughs> and and um, you know, like aside from cons- like concerns for Amazon, like having a number of headquarters is kind of weird. Like I don't know exactly what's going to happen in the second headquarters. I don't even really know what that means. Yeah, but they said that they're going to have a bunch of like you know jobs that the average salary is one hundred thousand dollars, which is going to be a good sort of upper upper middle tier of the upper class uh, type of jobs, um, which is why like. You know, if they had, if they were going to have a factory, then I would say like Brownsville is great. But it's just going to all you're going right. to do is you're going to gentrify it wherever you throw it in. That's why the ideal location for this is someplace like put it in one of those like em- the empty like places in Detroit that's Detroit, been overtaken yeah. by natural natural growth forest. You yeah. know, Detroit would be. I, I think I agree. I was in my mind. I was thinking Detroit. Maybe Cleveland or Cincinnati, like a Midwestern city. Yeah, and those places have, I mean, we're not saying that those places don't have economies, but like those places would benefit so hugely yeah. um, from that. It's that they're, you know, they're in, in, in the eastern half of the country, which is probably strategically beneficial if they're trying to have a headquarters somewhere. I think they'd be able to attract talent too, even to any of those cities where, I mean, Cincinnati, you got PNG, Cleveland certainly has a big like medical sector, Detroit obviously has auto. I think they're, my guess is they end up in Detroit anyway. Um, here's my guess is being that their, their next big inroad is going to be not only drones, but some kind of vehicle m- movement, like figuring out how to move their transportation network of goods or like utilizing that and use, utilizing the economies of scale around the car industry that still somewhat exists in Detroit. So that would be my, my, my speculation is Detroit. Did you know that there's a huge, the Nashville Predators, the hockey team has yeah. a huge following because, um, the, uh, there's a plant that opened, I think there's a few plants that opened up in Tennessee and they brought down a lot of workers from Michigan oh, who are huge hockey fans. Oh, yeah. And so they've adopted the Predators as their own. That's pretty funny. Uh, well, one of my friends who is from Pittsburgh but went to school in Nashville was like, oh, he was super, I guess, conflicted about the most recent Stanley Cup because he's like, oh, yeah, like they're kind of my, sec- the Predators are my second team. But it's kind of like, it, I guess, 
uh, Nashville. Nashville's economy is doing great for whatever reason. They've just attracted a bunch of other people from the north to to their city. From the north, <laughs> the north, from the Union, the new the Union above the Mason Dixon line, or north from northern cities to a north. You know, actually, that, that brings up a good point. Um, I think it would be powerful if Amazon. Well, it doesn't really matter. What I was going to say was that it, it would be powerful if Amazon did the opposite of its fellow um, uh, Washington uh, company. Uh, Boeing and moved to, uh, distinctly to a not right to work state. Yeah. So like Boeing is, is based in Chicago, but it um, uh, uh, has a huge factory that moved, I think, from Spokane yeah. to like so- somewhere in South Carolina because okay. South Carolina is a right to work state, right. which means that you don't have to like mandatory union right. enrollment is not compulsory. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it would be cool if Amazon tried to put a, a, a stake in the ground for like, no, we're going to move to a state that has worker protections. Then again, Amazon is not the is not. I, that's a fucking fantasy because Amazon is the people who would exploit right. workers. So, yeah. Well, maybe we just need to seize the means of prime and and, <laughs> and then, but then take I, now back I, the wings. But back to civilization and back to me getting used to. I'm used to when I order a thing that it's super cheap and it comes to me within like two days, or I can even just add an extra five dollars and it'll be with at my house. By the if I order it in the morning, it'll be at my house when I get home at night. <laughs> yeah, that may I take back what I said. Civilization sucks. <laughs> Um, speaking of civilization, uh, we're moving on to the American global civilization that we tried to maintain and explaining it to our great president. So uh, as, uh, as we ponder the good or badness of ci- the goodness or the badness of civilization or whether civilization is worth it, uh, you know, the American global empire still very much exists and it still very much exists as a global mil- military empire and a, a unipolar hegemony. It's hegemony anime. No, it's hegemony. I know. Hegemony. It's hegiography. It's hegemony. It's hegemony. That's your jam band name. Hegemony. We're going to warm up for Twiddle, go on Twiddle tour. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, the, the John Kelly and uh, George Mattis and, uh, recently had to just bring the president into the Pentagon and be like, Hey, you know how all that stuff you said about America first and how we're not going to really worry about doing stuff around the world. Um, about that. There's a lot of things that go on. If we, (laughs) if we don't do the thing, make the commitments that we've made to these countries that can be really bad for American private enterprise globally, America militarily. Uh, so maybe we should, uh, re-examine those positions as, as rhetoric and not as something you're actually going to (laughs) do. And we're going to show you a bunch of pictures. We're going to essentially give you a picture book explaining what all these countries do. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I actually, so that, yeah, in the article, like it was a political article that was, or the hill or something. It was a business insider. Business insider. Well, I actually came from the Associated Press. Sorry. Um, but it was like. It was this article that was the smug takedown of uh, Trump had to have global American global power explained to him, and it was like Trump is Trump is a fucking idiot. Okay, yeah. I'm not I'm not going to deny that. I I think that he obviously he doesn't understand a lot of stuff, um, and also what is less obvious but also bears saying is that American the American influence on the world has I think been largely um, positive for as much bad as we've done. Um, I think that there is a case to be made that if we don't have a global power, someone else worse than us is going to take over. But I will also say that questioning the the global presence of American powers, like from Noam Chomsky to Alex Jones, <laughs> you know, it's like a valid yeah, question. No, and Noam Chomsky would just <laughs> it would just fight you. <laughs> he would just like hurt you if he's no, like, dude, dude. Noam Chomsky was on the Alex Jones show. Oh, really? Yes, he was? dude. This is one of my funny. This is one of my what? funniest. I gotta watch that. moments of Alex Jones. So he, he's it's a full interview. It's like a twenty five minute interview, and they're agreeing on so much yeah, about the nature yeah. of state power and yeah. all this stuff. And they're they're you could tell they're kind of trying to soften their edges so that they can agree with each other. Yeah. But it, it's a phone-in interview, and so at the end of it, Noam Chomsky. Um, so Alex Jones, literally the last like forty-five seconds of the interview, Alex Jones is like, "No, let me let me ask you something, uh, Noam. Uh, just one question. What do you feel about uh, gun rights? You know." And Noam Chomsky is like, "Well, um, it's obvious that uh, you know any reasonable, rational person wants to have." You know, this is a horrible Noam Chomsky impression, yeah, yeah. but he's like, "It's obvious that any rational person could see that uh, gun laws need to be amended so that uh, you know thirty-five round uh, clips are not as easily accessible." And so then Alex Jones says, "All right, thank you, Noam." And as soon as he hangs up, for the one thing that they've disagreed about the entire time. 
The after Noam Chomsky hangs up, he goes, well, there you go. A card carrying member of the New World Order coming to get your guns. <laughs> that was the one deal. Alex can't let that go. And yeah, and of course, and also because Noam Chomsky also would, I mean, is a huge advocate against any kind of world global power and, and also is incredibly uh, anti the American global state and like, and will take any opportunity to just say, it's like, Hey, American empire has resulted in catastrophic deaths and whether it's in Vietnam or South, South and Central America or, um, wherever you want to. And that's always, and all of these are, are, are fair yeah. points. And like, if you look at like the history of like United Fruit or you know the Dole, like right. we we talked about Banana Republics and how horrible of a brand name Banana Republic is. Yeah, <laughs> fascism, <laughs> like fash, high fascism, high fascism. Yeah, but so so I think that like we, there's a definitely a, a, a lucid defense of American global power, but the assumption of American global power is one of the, and and the the need for it is definitely one of the things that I think has been a very beneficial conversation. That ooh, can we count this as a nationalized conversation segment? Oh yeah, this we have a se- we have a running segment. segment called the nationalized conversation. It's whenever anyone says you need a national conversation about something, we just have the conversation. Yeah, um, and uh, I think that the, the raising the specter of questioning that is a really positive thing, even if it is fucking this troglodyte that does it. I'm going to read a, a segment from that article because reading this really worried me. Um, the officials, I'm not quoting it. The officials said that the purpose of the meeting was to answer one of Trump's most persistent questions of his national security aides. Why does the U.S. government need, quote, so many people abroad, end quote. As such, which is a fucking valid question, like, hey, do we need to have Turkey bases pointed right. at Russia yeah. anymore? Yeah. Okay. As such, it was a comprehensive look at military bases, embassies and consulates, CIA stations, and other intelligence posts presented by experts sitting around a large conference table and in chairs lining the walls. Um, Okay, so I'm just going to read this next paragraph in an eye-rolly voice. (sighs) To be successful, Mattis and Tillerson decided they should use talking points and commentary with which they believe Trump would be most familiar. The role of the military, intelligence officers, and diplomats play in making the world safe for American businesses, like the Trump Organization, to operate and expand abroad. Hmm. So, like, this is not just the language that Trump is familiar with and they try to dumb it down for him. The reason that we have these presences abroad is because of, as they say, making the world safe for American businesses, like the Trump Organization. Fuck, fuck anyone who thinks that that's, like, beyond questioning or, like, our idiot president doesn't understand... Our president is an idiot for a lot of reasons, but that is a childlike question. And if that child asked that, that would be something that stumps dad because that is a good question. And and the fact that we have become so inured to the idea that American businesses are worth fighting Iraq for, you know, like Texaco's profits and well, the first yeah, Gulf War. Well, that's, I mean, that's and, why, and literally, yeah. you could not think of a, a worse presence in that room than Rex Tillerson. You know, I mean, that's why Rex Tillerson was sitting there. I know that Rex Tillerson was sitting in that room or sitting there explaining to him and and, and being like losing. And he's like, he's got to explain. He's like, oh, my God, everyone back at my old job, the only other job I've ever had is going to kill me if I blow if he doesn't if he doesn't protect all of our all basically ExxonMobil used the United States government to protect like and, and take advantage of. Uh, oil fields that they could just nationalize and take the rights to, and they're like the Chinese are going to take all those if we don't protect him, and, and like and they're gonna, or they're going to or those states will nationalize their their resources, and we're, we're so so screwed. Absolutely, and and <laughs> and he he is the worst present the worst person to be to be any kind of authority or moral authority on that. If you know what this is a a good way to sum up sum this up, the the reason Trump is bad is not because and, and an idiot. The reason Trump is an idiot is not because he's questioning the need for overt American power all over the globe. The reason he's bad is because he's so stupid, he invites Rex Tillerson into the room to explain that question to him. Right. That's his blind spot mixed the good mixed with bad and we all lose. And he well he lost all his guys who would have told him otherwise on that like you know the the Steve Bannons and the um uh, uh, you know, to Steve Bannon in particular, I think would have been the yeah, the, and, and Gorka, and Gorka, <laughs> Gorka. Yeah, uh, the, he he assembled. He asked a good question, and then he assembled the 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 worst, most loathsome people to an, and 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 the most conflicted people to answer it. Oh yeah, that's what makes him bad. Not asking the question. That's the why, fucking media can't tell the difference. That's why the whole Cutter thing was such. When he went on the trip to Saudi Arabia, and then there was like the immediate action in Cutter, and he he made all the tweets about. See, it's like, look, I one trip to Saudi Arabia, and they're already emboldened to like cut cutter off and then like rex tillerson 
clearly sweating is just like, oh boy. Like if you just, it's on the Exxon Mobil like homepage where it's like Exxon Mobil has the biggest ga- oh, natural gas access to the biggest natural gas field in Qatar. <laughs> it's like, oh no. And on top of that, are one of our biggest air bases that basically all operations for Iraq and Afghanistan run out of is in Qatar. And well, luckily for, uh, luckily for global stability, uh, his influence outweighed the influence of Jared Kushner, who, as it came out later, had been denied a loan by the Emir of Qatar and uh, was looking for some payback just the same way he was looking for some payback on Chris Christie. Oh, yeah. it, it is a, it is a fucking cockroach rat rat's nest in there. But if there's one good set of, of, of questions that comes out of it, uh, this is one, and it is completely getting brushed under the rug. Uh, it, it, to, to have it, to see it be treated this way, like Trump needs the need for all of our military bases explained to him, uh, is not satisfying to me. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that is frustrating. It is also frustrating, though, because people also see it through the lens of, I mean, see American global power through the lens of a corporate media where it's like, and people put it kind of in the similar to the binary we put it before where liberals kind of see it from a particular like, why don't we just like bombing these countries? And I, I don't endorse just like random drone strikes on Yemen or whatever, whatever countries that were, were uh, tacitly like participating in a civil war in. Uh, at the same time, there is actually, I think there's a legitimate reason for an American expansionist American global empire to kind of maintain our our empire, at least a free trade and global empire abroad. I think it, it serves, it's why we kind of have easy lives a little bit and, uh, you know, and, and could, and is, is better than the, it's the devil, you know, I think is better than the devil you don't in, in to your argument where you're saying like, well, would it be better if we just dealt with like a, a China that had kind of like a, a large scale police surveillance state? And, it w- and I think it uh, would be worse. Yeah. yeah. Like that we favor, we're, we're terrible in a lot of ways. We assassinate leaders that are democratic elected, but we generally favor open society. I mean, the, uh, an example, uh, the, the evidence, for, there's all the evidence that I need for this is that in that, um, uh, that leak of cables, uh, where you see a bunch of the, um, you know, American diplomats kind of talking to each other. They're mostly trying to just solve problems. And yeah. Well, and the, I think that's the thing. Make well, things and, better. And that's where my argument with the conservative angle would be, where is that like, we look weak in Libya or whatever. And it's like, you clearly don't know. You just heard Sean Hannity just shoot his mouth off about like, like Benghazi a hundred times. You don't even know. You could not find Benghazi on a map. And also you couldn't do like the extra level of homework to figure out. It's like, uh, maybe Benghazi was a CIA black site that was like feeding guns into like kind of shady groups. Uh, and, 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 uh, and like the, the, um, the operation that was going on there and also the operations of the American government and maybe like you can't just put Muammar Gaddafi in the binary of like, oh, he's a bad guy or he's a good guy. It's like, well, we helped again. It's kind of like General Noriega. It's like he was it's like I don't get what happened like when Barbara Bush is talking to George Bush on The Simpsons where she's like, I don't know what happened with that whole Noriega thing. They used to be such good friends and then something happened. And it's kind of <laughs> like it's like conservatives don't have the ability to think that it's like, well, they just fling in the binary of like, well, there's only anti-Americas or pro-Americas not really like us. It's like, well, there's guys that we put in there at first because we thought they'd help them out. And then the, the second they flip on us, and then we're just kind of like, yeah. you know, the second they're like, hey, it's so we're like the mafia in that way where it's like, didn't we give you the loan to set up this nice little uh, banana republic you have here? <laughs> and it's like, wouldn't it be a shame if we uh, came in here and played Van Halen until we uh, put you in jail. <laughs> That's what happened in Noriega. Oh my God, they did. What yeah. What was Van Halen's involvement? Uh, no, they just, so when they invaded Panama in whatever year it was, 1989. Oh, I don't know if that was the actual song they played. I know it was Van Halen though that they did play. So the military just like, he, he took, they put them in hot shoes and they walked in and walked down the Burning Avenue. Yeah. <laughs> hot shoe. Um, but then, so, Noriega was holed up in the, I think, the Vatican's embassy in Panama and and asked for sanctuary, and they granted him sanctuary there. And so to, to flush him out, they just set up the biggest speakers they could outside the Vatican's embassy and just oh, played. Oh, an acoustical attack like they were doing in the American uh, embassy in Havana? Did yeah. you hear about that? Uh, no. Recently, uh, there was a... The American embassy in Havana, like a couple weeks ago, was um, suffering from some sort of acoustic attack. It was like low sub hearing range sound waves oh. that was making people really sick, like it was I, causing permanent hearing damage. But the f- cool version of that <laughs> is just blasting <laughs> Panama! Panama! Yeah, they had a bar in Argentina where they would. 
to disperse crowds. You can buy, I think you can buy them. Maybe we can buy it on Amazon. I don't know what we call it, crowd dispersal thing. But like, you couldn't if you paid attention, you could hear it. But if you're standing like the, they wanted to get bars, people crowds away from the front of their bar and people not to hang out there like smoking too long. So they played this thing, and I'm like, one time I was hanging out there by myself, and I was like, why am I like going crazy? And then I looked up and I saw this little thing. It's like noise maker or something like or a silent and it was just like a thing that they used that you couldn't what? you couldn't hear it unless you were paying attention and then i was like there's just this low buzzing and it was like i hadn't been drinking or anything like that. i was like why is that like why am i just like so annoyed right now and i have this like low like kind of low headache and then i i saw this thing that was like behind their their entrance holy like, shit it's a people like resistor it's like fucking citronella yeah. candle for yeah. humans yeah you, and i think i'm sure you could probably buy one i don't know if it's illegal but like i'm sure we can find it we got to go on the dark wow part, maybe. yeah if anyone knows about it at us on on uh, Twitter about the crowd dispersal. Yeah, stuff. if you make so, yeah, somebody's got to make an app version of that so I can just like be on the subway and just oh, clear out I the subway there is one. Yeah, oh, except for I guess it would clear me out yeah. too. But yeah, yeah, uh, good so yeah. Right. So uh, all right, cool. So uh, I'm still plugging my Indiegogo to to uh, buy the New York Jets. So go to my Twitter to find out more about that. Do you want to? Um, uh, they actually no, they're bad. They're bad. Um, they might win this week. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to ex- exit for our good listeners on uh, a rendition of Panama? Yeah. One, eight. <laughs> One two, three, I think it's going to be 